spreading this venomous message of whites only in the United States, I think, need to be put out of business and no longer be able to cloak themselves in this First Amendment. Oh, Edgar, I don't know what to think. I think basically you're full of shit. Man, I can't believe it. The person that owns a big ranch and everything, do you think these people are going to protect you? Thank you. 
I think they, I think there's a feeling in Washington that they back down in Iraq and the rest of the Gulf. They're looking for pressure points. Now the question is, are they going to back down or are they going to respond? Good evening, one and all. This is VNN's Dietrich. It's uh, a little bit after 9 o'clock. This is the Friday edition of VNN's Free Talk Live. It is Friday, March 30th, 2007. We are already one quarter of the way through 2007. Can you believe it? We have a lot of news to cover tonight, a lot, a whole bunch, so I'm going to go ahead and jump right in. Tonight we have uh, a special on uh, video and filmmaking. We're going to have uh, Anzer Faust and uh, Chain Craig Chain Cobb from uh, Goyfire, uh, whom a lot of us are familiar with. Uh, we're going to be talking about making videos and make, making uh, propaganda films, and there's plenty of that on 150 whatever channels. And uh, now with the internet, we have the opportunity to get a different message out. So we're going to be uh, talking about how just normal, everyday folks can can do that. And it's pretty neat. You can do some really amazing things. If uh, if you don't think so, go to uh, YouTube and search for uh, Chains Videos, or you can go on vnnforum.com and uh, look for uh, some of the videos that Pan- Panzerfaust and Chain and others post. It's pretty neat. You get you get a little dialectic going. Uh, last uh, week we uh, had the missed opportunity to see the uh, Mexican taking a dump in the in the planter inside of a look like some kind of a mall or something. And uh, there were a few remixes of that, and uh, <laughs> it was pretty neat. Uh, I'm still looking for one with uh, w- with the audio with uh, that. Uh, speech Bush gave in Texas like a year or so ago where he was saying that family values and morality and stuff doesn't end at the Rio Grande and I, I just think that would be a really neat backdrop to that uh, Mexican taking a dump in the flower pot anyway we have a couple quick uh, items in the news tonight um, the angry whites planned Knoxville rally by Miranda Morgan was posted to Amrin earlier today so I want to welcome all new listeners from Amarin. Uh, Psst, the Jews are your enemy. And uh, you will be talking about that a little bit as the show goes on. Uh, speaking of the Jews are your enemy, Al Goldstein is running for president. Goldstein08.com. I happen to think it's a great idea. Uh, it's He would represent the Qua as uh, truth in advertising. We're a big ugly thing that is unnecessarily hostile and, uh, you know, dirty, nasty, pornographic, and just 
just really quite undesirable, and I think uh, I, I think he would be a good representative. I think it'd be truth in advertising. Uh, other than that, we're going to take a quick trip around the blog sphere. Uh, if you haven't read Kirksville today lately, I'd go ahead and encourage you to do so. There was some blood on the walls over at KirksvilleToday.com. Uh, the Alex blogged about uh, some an issue we were speaking on last week about uh, a writer for their local college rag, uh, Truman State University, uh, uh, its magazine was, uh, or its paper rather, uh, had written just a really weak sort of column with all the platitudes about you know haters and this that and the other, and it mentioned Alex Linder, and uh, he, uh, Alex commented that the, the reason his writing was so poor was because to him it was like jogging into Alex writing was a blood sport and uh, wow yeah I, I I haven't seen a beating that bad since uh, I don't know since I walked through the gorilla cage with a banana in my pants I mean I, <laughs> it's hard to the, the kid actually uh, responded to Alex on the blog and uh, Alex proceeded to dismantle him uh, micron by micron, it was, it, was, it, was, it was amazing to watch. You almost felt sorry for him. Uh, but yeah, that's at KirksvilleToday.com. Moving around the blog sphere at uh, South Africa is crap.blogspot.com. Uh, we want the the headline is we want homes and electricity, and if we don't get it, we will burn everything down. The new South African mindset of demand, take, demand, take, demand, take, without any concept of where things come from or who's actually paying for them, has been illustrated once again with an outbreak of rioting at the win- in the Winterveld sophisticated black residential area, Tswane, on Wednesday. Ironically, much of the uh, SB population is complaining about is complaining about uh, what they're complaining about is directly attributable to their own racial comrades' inability to deliver on anything, but that is of course lost on them when they have a chance to engage in a bit of old mindless vandalism. The community met at the Bushveld Road Lucas Magpope Drive intersection, where they were addressed by the ward councillor. Listening to the announcements was uh, Aupa Micella. He said he embarked on the street action because he wanted a roof over his head. Quote, we want a home of our own and electricity. They've been installing lights since the end of last year, but they're taking too long. Some people have stolen some equipment, which is making it difficult, he said. Ward 9 Councilor Galela Makama said the protest was the result of delayed implementation of electrical supply of about 250,000 households in the area. Uh, he said the Metro Council started the process last year. About 6,000 homes received power, but due to a lack of manpower and equipment being stolen, the process was taking more time. Three transformers worth uh, 120,000 rand each and cables were stolen. We have approached the community to form a block communi- uh, committees to stop the theft. A one-kilometer stretch of Bushveld Road was barricaded with rocks, burning tires, and five-meter-long gum poles, some of which had been burnt. Police clashed with the protesters when they moved in to disperse the crowd. The residents hurled stone at police and, respond, and the police responded with rubber bullets, scattering the crowd. Residents said several people were injured in the clashes. Police uh, used water cannons to douse the burning tires. Several Niala armored personnel vehicles uh, loaded with police armed with shotguns and stun grenades patrolled the area after the clashes, keeping a check on some unruly residents. Uh, some of them made... Uh, use of the opportunity to get drunk and hurl abuse at the police. 
So, yeah, I, I like stories like this because um, the, the thing I always think about, it's really funny when uh, when Africans live in squalor and, and stuff like that in, in Africa. It's their culture or it's whatever it's to be studied through anthropology and I'm not disagreeing with that per se but when the same things happen over here as what happens in Africa like when you go into a place where all blacks live and it basically looks like Africa uh, with some cash injections via welfare and wealth transfers uh, when the same things happen over here as what happens in Africa when they're left to their own devices, it becomes racism when it when the same exact things happen elsewhere. It's amazing. I'm not sure exactly sure how the trick is done, but it probably has something to do with turning water into wine. Uh, one of my favorite new blogs is ArianAwakening.blogspot.com. These are the uh, this is James and Lee from uh, Arian Matters, the, the podcast uh, that you can grab from GoVNN.com. Uh, it's a very good podcast. The Crown Prosecution Service is to investigate why fewer than one in ten anti-Semitic incidents results in prosecution the government will announce today. The review follows criticisms by, criticism by MPs that the judicial system is failing Jews who are more vulnerable to attacks and abuse than at any time for a generation. Police forces are overhauling their procedures for recording such incidents after MPs complained that, there were, that many were complacent. The measures will be announced as part of the government campaign to combat concerns that anti-Semitism is on the rise in Britain and across Europe. Ministers are particularly worried about anti-Jewish agitation on university campuses and have ordered a government task force to tackle the issue as a, quote, matter of urgency. They are to urge police to use Public Order Act 1986, which outlaws the spread of race hatred where there is enough evidence to bring prosecutions against Islamic extremists for speeches on campuses. The task force, which is jointly run by the Home Office and Communities Department, will also step up efforts to counter political extremism and racism on the interweb. Isn't that great? Uh, from Newsnet14.com, Afghani goes on rampage against non-paying blacks. This is great. The... Uh, <laughs> This is what we have to look forward to in a multicultural America. Uh, this is this is how you know that that Jews and the, the people pulling the strings here are suicidal because uh, if they if they knew better, uh, as I always say, if they knew better, they would cultivate white America. They wouldn't uh, they wouldn't be destroying white America because they've successfully saddled it, and uh, they you know they would be cultivating it and making it strong. Uh, instead, they're uh, shooting it through with, well, Afghanis. And they don't have that whole white guilt thing. Long Beach. The fate of a local physician accused of committing a variety of hate crimes in an effort to evict two black tenants from her or Orizaba Avenue rental property now rests in the hands of Long Beach a Long Beach jury. Dr. Mary Zul Zulfikar, a 66-year-old native of Afghanistan and a naturalized U.S. citizen, faces several misdemeanor counts and two hate crime allegations arising from a dispute over a lease agreement with Kenneth Jackson and his 17-year-old daughter, Geraldine. Prosecutors allege that on two days in May 2006, Zulfa Zulfikar punched Geraldine in the stomach when she was five months pregnant, threatened Kenneth with a shovel, vandalized the Jackson's car, yelled racial slurs at them, left a manila envelope containing feces in their mailbox. You sure he wasn't a Jew? And taunted them by hanging a stuffed monkey from a rope next to a sign reading, I 
M. lynched. In addition to the hate crime counts, Zulfikar is charged with assault with a deadly weapon, battery making criminal threats, brandishing a deadly weapon, and violating a court order. If convicted, she she could face several years in jail. In her closing argument before a Long Beach Superior Court jury Wednesday, Deputy City Prosecutor Sajay Castillo said that there was no question that Zulfikar committed the acts and was motivated by a deep-seated hatred. Quote, the bottom line is that the least dispute uh, is no defense, absolutely no defense for what she did to this family. Whether the Jacksons paid the rent or didn't pay the rent is irrelevant. Uh, we'll, uh, I'm going to take a quick break here. When we get back, we're going to talk about, uh, uh, of, of course, we're going to get to the main, uh, the, the, the meat and potatoes next hour with the uh, with uh, the guests on, uh, we're going to be talking about video and technology. I'm going to give a couple tips that I, I promise, if you don't know this stuff already, you're going to wonder if you implement uh, uh, my suggestions, these tips, you're going to wonder how you got by on the internet without them, I promise. Um, but when we get back, we're going to talk about the 8-pack scandal uh, developing in Washington, D.C. There's some 9-11 news. Uh, of course, we have our ever-present TNB section. And uh, we have some news from Europe, along with uh, along with a number of other pretty interesting items. So stay put, and we will return in about three minutes. The South African Toilet Tissue Manufacturers Association, or SATMAR, um, for at long last tackling the very serious problem of toilet paper fraud. According to the South African Citizen newspaper, the association is launching a, an innovative red and white logo uh, that will be stamped on approved loo paper that complies with legal standards of offering 500 sheets per roll. According to the executive director of SATMAR, Mr. John Hunt, up to 20% of purchasers are currently being ripped off by, uh, uh, by unscrupulous manufacturers who are flogging South African toilet rolls containing as few as 250 sheets per roll, often disguising their crime by artificially puffing the rolls up to make them look bigger. So, congratulations to Satmar and a sterling effort there. Um, We're back with the Friday, March 30th edition of VNN's Free Talk Live. This is your friend Dietrich. APAC, the scandal in Washington, the plot thickens, new details are emerging about a secret 2003 briefing that could play a key role in the defense of two pro-Israel advocates charged with passing classified information. Until now, the identities, identities of the participants were not publicly known except for one of the defendants, Steve Rosen, then policy director of the American Israel Public Affairs Committee. In recent weeks, however, the forward was confirmed the forward has confirmed that a meeting featured a briefing delivered by top Mideast peace envoy Anthony Zinni and was attended by Jess Hortis, uh, chief of Washington office of the ADL, and Dan Mariachin, executive vice president of B'nai B'rith International. Defense lawyers have sought the testimony of those in attendance to demonstrate the uh, to the jury that meetings between the administration officials and Jewish representatives were common practice and that intelligence was frequently shared during these powwows without the participants knowing that the information was classified. But, as first reported in the forward last month, the Jewish representatives who attended the meeting are refusing to cooperate with the defense team. Hortus and Marischen uh, refused to comment for this story. And the identity of a third Jewish representative who was refusing to testify could be confirmed, could not be confirmed, rather. 
and Zinni, uh, the defense team, would be turning to a harsh critic of both the Iraq War and neoconservatives at the Pentagon, who, according to Zinni, thought the invasion would stabilize American interests in the Middle East and strengthen Israel's position. Quote, I think it's the worst kept secret in Washington that everybody, everybody I talk to in Washington has known and fully knows that their agenda was and what they were trying to do, said Zinni in a May 2004 interview with CBS News program 60 Minutes. At the meeting with the Jewish representative, Zinni discussed the situation in the Middle East and attempts by the Bush administration to promote the Israeli-Palestinian peace process, according to sources familiar with the prosecution's account of the meeting. The sources said Zinni spoke very freely and that he revealed information that was not available to the general public. The next day, Rosen, who had represented AIPAC at the meeting, informed his superiors at the pro-Israel lobby about the information supplied by Zinni. At the time, Rosen was already under FBI surveillance, and his conversations about the meeting with Zinni were monitored. They appeared in documents presented by the prosecution once Rosen and the other defendant in the case, AIPAC's Iran specialist Keith Weissman, were, inducted, were indicted. Rather. <laughs> According to the sources, close to the case, the Jewish participants in the meeting are refusing to cooperate with the advice of their organization's respective legal advisors who recommended steering clear of the proceedings. Sources close to the defense expressed disappointment over the reluctance of the Jewish groups to testify. Those sources describe it as another sign of the decision by Jewish organizations to distance themselves from the case. One source said the defense described the response of the Jewish community to the prosecution of the two former senior APAC staffers as abandonment, and said that many Jewish officials and organizations cut off all ties to the defendants after the case was made public. The U.S. District Court in Alexandria, Virginia, will make a decision later this month regarding the government's request to keep the trial closed and not allow public asks or press to see the evidence or listen to the wiretapping recordings that will be the central pieces of the evidence in the case. In a hearing last month, Judge T.S. Ellis III said that no precedent exists for such a request. The judge ordered both sides to prepare arguments for a pretrial hearing on the issue, which is scheduled for mid-April. If the prosecution's request for a closed trial is denied, the government will be asked to prepare redacted versions of the evidence to be presented in the courtroom. This, This... this is especially pertinent, I think, now with all the Iranian stuff going on. Uh, also, if you haven't read it yet, you definitely—it's it, definitely worth flipping through um, the uh, the the book by oh, what's his name? He was an admiral for the Navy, but it's called the title of the book is "They Dare Speak Out," and it's an outstanding read. Into it's a it's basically a, a, a non-anti-Semite, everyday, average bureaucrat who talks about Jewish and Israeli and or Israeli subversion of our government at the highest levels, uh, at the Department of State, at the Pentagon. Uh, there are some rather infamous quotes from that uh, text, such as, uh, one of the Joint Chiefs of Staff saying, a Joint Chiefs of Staff? Right, saying that if he doesn't want it to get, if he doesn't want something to get to Israel, if he wants something to be truly secret, he won't write it down. Because if he writes something down, it'll end up in Israel. Uh, there was also, let's see, there was uh, when there's when there anytime there's sensitive uh, negotiations going on, say between the United States and uh, Saudi Arabia, there were a couple different times during the 1970s during the Carter 
uh, administration in particular uh, that I recall in that book about how uh, Jews that were ostensibly working for the State Department were sabotaging the United States uh, diplomatic efforts with the Saudis lest we lest we realize that Middle Eastern countries basically just want to be friends and sell us oil um, so yeah we, we trade uh, 18 allies who want to sell us cheap oil uh, with one who does nothing but spy on us and uh, give us grief speaking of this uh, uh, quote unquote ally that gives us grief uh, 9-11 in the evidence there was a, a couple good articles out this week one by Paul Craig Roberts Professor David Ray Griffin is the nemesis of the official 9-11 conspiracy theory. In his latest book, Debunking 9-11, Debunking, Griffin destroys the credibility of the National Institute of Standards and Technology and Popular Mechanics reports, annihilates his critics, and proves himself to be a better scientist and engineer than the defenders of the official story. Griffin's book is 385 pages, divided into four chapters, and containing 1,209 footnotes. Without question, the book is the most thorough presentation and examination of all known facts about the 9-11 attacks. Griffin is a person who is sensitive to evidence, logic, and scientific reasoning. There is no counterpart on the official side of the story who is full, as fully informed on all aspects of the attacks as Griffin. At the outset, Griffin points out that the reader's choice is between two conspiracy theories. One is that Muslim fanatics who were not qualified to fly airplanes defeated the security apparatus of the United States and succeeded in three out of four attacks using passenger jets as weapons. The other is that security failed across the board, not merely partially but totally because of complicity on some part of the U.S. government. Griffin points out that there has been no independent investigation of 9-11. What we have are a report by a political commission headed by Bush administration factotum Philip Zelikow, a NIST report produced by the Bush administration's Department of Commerce, and a journalistic account produced by Popular Mechanics, various scientists who worked on the federal government who work for the federal government or are independent on the government grants have issued speculative statements on behalf of the official conspiracy theory, but have not produced meaningful evidence in its behalf. The relevant skeptics of the official story are approximately 100 independent researchers consisting of experts and professors whose career have required them to deal with the evidence and, and analysis. Their individual contributions to 9-11 analysis can be found online. Griffin has undertaken to absorb the arguments and evidence of the official account and the, and the arguments and evidence against it. In his latest book, which has just been released, he presents the case for the official account and its evidential failure. Polls show that 36% six, of Americans do not believe the official story. Setting aside the 25% of the public that is so uninformed or uninvolved as to believe that Saddam Hussein was responsible for the 9-11 attack leaves 39% of the public who believe in the official story. However, this 39% is essentially reliant on the mainstream media's endorsement of the official story. Griffin believes, perhaps naively, that truth can prevail, and it is his commitment to truth that has motivated him to shoulder the enormous task. Everyone who believes in the integrity of the U.S. government or the Bush administration will find Griffin's book to be disturbing. Readers have to confront such issues as to why the U.S. authorities seized the forensic evidence resulting from the destruction of the three World Trade Center buildings, the attack on the Pentagon, and the crashed airliner in Pennsylvania, and prevented any forensic examination of any part of the 9-11 attacks. Despite widespread belief that Osama bin Laden was responsible for the attack, the evidence 
we have is a suspect video declared to be bogus by Bruce Lawrence, perhaps the leading American es- expert on bin Laden. And personally, from you, from myself to yourself, uh, that I, I can understand in a very broken way Arabic that yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, the fake bin Laden video, quote unquote used uh, literary Arabic, whereas bin Laden himself spoke in colloquial Arabic, which is a pretty big deal. It's like the the difference between Queen's English and, well, say, the way I talk. The U.S. government has never produced the promised report on bin Laden's responsibility. When the Taliban offered to hand over bin Laden on presentation of evidence, the U.S. government had no evidence to deliver, thus the invasion of Afghanistan. The fragility of the NIST report is astonishing. The report succeeded because people accepted its assurance without examination. And just a side comment here. If you've ever read the 9-11 report, it's very interesting. It, it, if, once you understand what's going on and then you read it, it's quite, uh, it, it's amazing that anyone actually did ever believe it. It basically begins saying, it, it begins almost like, it, or yeah, I think it does. Like on the first page of the actual report, it's talking about the hijackers and like what uh, you know. We have some planes. I think is the first is the name of the first chapter. So it, it assumes some things, and they'll actually say that the 9/11 Commission members, uh, ones ones here and there, not 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 as a body, but they have admitted as much that they uh, assumed that it was the 19 hijackers and then their report carried all the way over until the building started collapsing and it didn't cover the actual collapse which that's true it did not but uh anyway i continue griffin shows that the popular mechanics report consists of special pleading circular reasoning and appeals to the authority of the nist report straw men and internal contradictions in the use of the report itself there is a uh, there is not space in a review to present the evidence Griffin has mustered. A few highlights would suffice to alert readers to the possibility that the Bush administration has lied about more than Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction. The two World Trade Center towers did not collapse. They blew up and disintegrated, as did World Trade Center 7. There is enormous energy deficit in every account that rules out the use of explosives. Gravitational energy is insufficient to explain the pulverization of the buildings and contents and the severing of the 47 massive center steel core columns in each of the towers into convenient lengths to be picked up and loaded onto trucks. Much less can gravitational energy account for the pulverization of the top floors of the tower and the ejection of steel beams hundreds of feet horizontally just prior to the disintegration of the floors below. Yeah, just on a side note there, uh, if you, you can watch all over the internet, you can find videos of the collapse of the tower. See if you can find... Uh, there's one uh, wide shot of the collapse of the South Tower, which I believe was the second one. You can actually see, they called it the spire, oddly enough, because it, it, oddly enough, because that's what they're calling the Freedom Tower, the replacement uh, building that they're building on the same site. And I'm not kidding, but the spire the spire is the the 47 steel columns, or it's they're steel columns sticking straight up in the air after the building is destroyed all around it, and they fall straight down basically. Uh, but yeah, it's a spire. It's on the I believe it's on the left side of it. They're cut shorter, and on the right side they're higher up. And oddly enough, that's exactly how the 
the Freedom Tower looks. It's kind of weird if you've ever seen drawings of the Freedom Tower, how it's, you know, down on one side and it goes, it slants up. I'll post some pictures of that uh, in the forum. Damage caused by airliners and short-lived limited fires cannot explain the disintegration of the buildings. The massive steel skeletons of the tower compromise a gigantic heat sink that wicked away whatever heat the limited fires produced. NIST's final report stated that the steel available to it for examination, quote, only three columns had evidence that the steel reached temperatures above 250 degrees Celsius. That's 482 degrees, you and I. The self-cleaning ovens in our home kitchen reach temperatures higher than this, and the ovens do not melt or deform or collapse at freefall speed. Steel beams ha- uh, begin to melt at 1,500 degrees Celsius, um, which is about 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Temperatures of 250 degrees C would have no effect on the strength of steel. The explanation that the buildings collapse because fire weakened the steel is speculative. Open-air fires do not produce temperatures sufficient to deprive steel of its structural integrity. Steel frames buildings have burned 22 hours in raging infernos. The steel skeletons remain standing. The World Trade Center fires in the towers lasted for about one hour and were limited to a few floors. Moreover, it's impossible for fire to account for the sudden total and symmetrical disintegration of powerfully constructed buildings, much less at freefall speeds that were obtainable only with controlled demolition. The reason that was only possible with, or they, they say it's only possible with controlled demolition, which actually is in a, it's not a completely accurate statement. I mean, I'm, you, could, you could get it by other means, but practically, that's the only way you can get it with controlled demolition. But the reason freefall speed is mentioned so many times is because, indeed, it is impossible by... Uh, the it, there is a large energy deficit there. If you 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 can account for 35,000 gallons of uh, high grade kerosene, which is what jet fuel is, uh, yeah, kerosene. That stuff, that mild stuff that you put. That's why you put it in uh, uh, like home heating uh, equipment. A lot of them use kerosene. Or I don't know. They did. We had one when I was a kid. It's used because it's slow burning and it's rather mild and. Uh, you know, we, we, we had one of those uh, little kerosene heaters that uh, that had the little the wick element in it. And, I mean, did you ever see anything like that collapse into a million pieces? And, uh, you know, just compare that what that's made out of, that, like, fabricated, you know, plate steel. Not, not even really, just metal, just, like, fabricated sheet metal with uh, these huge columns that would uh, dissipate heat rather uh, remarkably. So you're dealing with the same stuff there, but the reason free fall speed is so important is because being that they did fall at free fall speed, that's uh, that's available for everyone to see. You can stop it. You can play the video. You can get your stopwatch out. But the reason that's important as far as you know uh, that you can smell a rat there is because each floor had to basically have been taken out at the same time or darn near us uh, at the same time. Uh, if there was any resistance from one floor to the next, as in a progressive collapse, as in what's been claimed and then uh, later retracted, if you had a progressive collapse, that would slow down. It would take time to transfer the kinetic energy from one floor to the other, and it would take actually quite a long time for 80 or so floors to come down, 80 floors being roughly uh, how much real estate was under the point of impact. So to get a progressive collapse, it would it would take a very long time to come down, uh, relatively. It, I mean, it would take like a minute or two minutes or some ridiculous amount of time 
to come down. I've seen it explained in uh, a couple different physics forums, and uh, they basically agree with it. That's that's a neat thing you can do is check out a physics form uh, and see what see what they say about it. Um, Perhaps it is merely a coincidence that just prior to 9-11, Kathleen P. Black, who has family connections to the CIA and Pentagon and who is president of Hearst Magazines, the owner of Popular Mechanics, fired the magazine's editor-in-chief and several senior veteran staff members who in and installed James B. Meggs and Benjamin Chertoff, a cousin of Bush administration fact factotum Michael Chertoff. It was Meggs and Benjamin Chertoff who produced the Popular Mechanics report that uh, Griffin has eviscerated. In his conclusion... Griffin reminds us that the 9-11 attacks has been used to start wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, to plan an attack on Iran, to curtail constitutional protections and civil liberties in the United States, to radically expand U.S. military budgets and the power of the executive, and to enrich and trench invested interests. Griffin is definitely correct about this, regardless of whether a believable case can be made for the government's version of the 9-11 conspiracy. I... Uh, I like, or I don't like it, but I uh, appreciate the 9/11 story. I it, I think it's the defining event of our time, much like the uh, what we call the post-war era, uh, where what happened in World War II and the the fallout from World War II, uh, no pun intended, um, informed the political layout. It it, it informed the world order of the time with uh, American hegemony, uh, American, a large American sphere of influence in uh, Southeast Asia and the Asia-Pacific region, uh, in Europe centralized from Germany, and uh, the, uh, the bipolar United States, USSR, uh, political, international political scene. Uh, the, our political establishment sought to redefine the order and uh, to to, make, to shape it into something that the United States could, uh, uh, in which the United States could get ahead. I think that 9/11 is a death sentence for uh, the United States government. If if nothing else, if nothing else, there are people who there are people who say that. It's a death sentence for this for this uh, regime to, or, or for this government to mix the races at gunpoint, for instance, or that, uh, or, or you name it, or, or like in, have foreigners invade our lands and you know invite them to displace us from our own jobs. Uh, the people that we pay have done that. Some people think all of that, but for um, for a government to act so radically um, and, and to be caught mind you this is not the first time this has happened this goes back to the Lusitania um, actually Alex had a very good uh, article I believe was posted earlier today on the front page of govnn.com and uh, he was uh, eviscerating another writer uh, and uh, talking about and, you know, he mentioned the Lusitania the uh, uh, Pearl Harbor, which is something that I appreciate. Alex turned me on to the truth about Pearl Harbor, and uh, if, if you don't if you don't know, it's very easy to find. The best uh, there's a there was a, a very good text written 
Um, and you really don't even need to read it unless you just want the footnotes. I've got it, and if anyone wants me to scan some footnotes for them in the, the actual document showing the FDR wanted, uh, before Pearl Harbor, they were talking about sacrificing 1,600 men on a couple of cruisers. Um, having pop-up cruises, there was an eight-point provocation plan. Uh, there was at least one admiral who uh, smelled a rat and wanted to set sail and guard Pearl Harbor. Uh, he was recalled several times. All kinds of stuff. I mean, and if you look at the Pearl Harbor thing, it was just like 9-11. Like, all the normal controls were taken off. The AAA guns were told not to fire. or They were they were hobbled. Just kind of like the... Uh, the North American, uh, the NORAD people were hobbled. Um, all the normal controls that normally would have thwarted such a thing were were taken out. Uh, but yeah, it goes on. I mean, the Northwoods documents, but right, right. The uh, the Pearl Harbor book. You can get to a really good interview with uh, this author from a well-respected journal. Really, uh, the Journal of Independent Review is a very well-respected. Uh, uh, it's actually leftist, but it, it is uh, it, it's quite good. Um, but if you Google FDR New Pearl Harbor, the very first hit will be the Journal of, Internet of uh, Independent Review uh, with uh, Robert B. Stinnett, Robert B. Stinnett, who's the uh, author. It's very, 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 very good uh, read. And man, if you had anyone, any relatives or anything like that, was in World War II. I mean, <laughs> I've had. Uh, I, on college campuses, the funny thing about 9-11 and, and this sort of thing is that you can kind of, <laughs> all the kids know that's the funny thing, or, or I would say like 60% of them at least know. It, it's kind of scary how they kind of take it for granted. They're like, yeah, we know. And sometimes I'll get one who will say, you know, they did 9-11, and I'll say, yeah. They did World War Two, and I'll let them borrow my Stinnett book, uh, Day of Deceit, which is about the uh, uh, Pearl Harbor thing. So this thing's been going on a long time, but 9/11 in particular is something that everyone alive today knows about. It informs everything that you can see in the news and everything that's happening, and everything that is is shaping up to define this current order. Uh, is informed by 9/11, so that's why I like to drive it. As one poster on VNN has in his signature, I like to drive it hard and drive it home. <laughs> I like. I think that that's the um, it's the defining event of our time, and it's for a very good reason. This is Dietrich with the Friday edition of VNN's Free Talk Live. We'll be right back. Shizzle, my niggas, it's time for the TMB section of our program. Where would VNN be without, the, or where would the Friday edition of VNN's Free Talk Live be without the DMB section of our program? Uh, probably naming the Jew more, but nonetheless, sometimes we just can't pass up a little TNB. Um, there's a good one and a bad one. Which one you want first? Three suspects, one arrest, uh, one arrest in Pasco rape. Uh, this is from yesterday. Newport Ritchie. This is in Florida. The Pasco County, uh, the Pasco County Sheriff's Office has made an arrest in connection with the rape of an elderly woman earlier this week. Deputies have arrested 18-year-old Jethaniel J. McMichael. 
They say two other suspects are still at large. One is 18-year-old Bobby Lee Black. Another is a juvenile uh, they are not yet naming. Pasco Sheriff Bob White said McMichael was already in custody on a drug-related charge. He was charged in connection with the rape last night. Sheriff White... Wow, this is... Bobby Lee Black, Sheriff White, said investigators have contacted uh, the Black family <laughs> late last night, and they are hoping he will turn himself in. White said the sheriff's office is devoting, quote, extensive resources to finding Black. It's only a matter of time. We will catch him, Sheriff White said. The 68-year-old rape victim lived in a senior living community called Ramblewood Mobile Homes in South Zephyrillis, like the bottled water... Her friends told Fox 13 News that the horrific ordeal began when two men broke through her window early Tuesday morning. The dramatic evening ended with the woman clawing her way out of an abandoned quarry in Zephyrillus that was a muddy pit of water 20 feet below. The victim and her white minivan were tossed there by the men who robbed and raped her. Uh, so yeah, apparently this this happened all day on Tuesday, going from Tuesday morning. Uh, to late Tuesday night. Uh, here's one from uh, another one from South Africa. The heading, uh, oh, the the title is "Whites Have Reason to Be Afraid." Uh, this is from the uh, South African Star. The heading of Max Dupres's recent column: "Don't Believe Everything You Read." from the Star Opinion and Analysis March 22, 2007, should also be applied to his own views. White South Africans have every reason to be terrified, given the current breakdown in law and order, as well as President Thado Mbeki's anti-white rhetoric. French philosopher Alan Finkelkraut said during uh, the Parisian race riots of 2005 that the lofty idea of the war on racism was gradually turning into a hideously false ideology. And his anti-racism will be for the 21st century what communism was for the 20th century, a source of violence. During the Rwandan genocide in 1994, the infamous radio-television Demil Kaliene broadcast a call to arms to the Hutu listeners by saying, Cut down the tall trees and kill the cockroaches. We all know what happened next, having seen the sanitized version of the events in the uh, movie Hotel Rwanda. Mbeki's claim that the vast number of whites out there called blacks kafirs and flatten their noses in racist caricatures are tantamount to anti-white propaganda. A few months ago, I spent a weekend with a foreign TV journalist and his cameraman. After showing them a collection of newspaper clippings depicting the carnage that took place in December 2006 when every day more white and especially African uh, victims were reported murdered, tortured, and raped, he soon stopped me, saying, I've seen enough. What your government has done is to designate you as targets. They don't have to kill you. They know someone else will do it for them. Max Duprez is living in a dream world if he thinks that South Africa has good race relations and that there's no ethnic motive underlying the rampant murder rate. In Europe, the murder rate is 2 per 100,000 per year. In the U.S., it rises to about 40 per 100,000 per year. Among African air farmers, it is more than 300 per 100,000 per year. That single statistic justifies the hypothesis that we already live in the early stages of an anti-Africanier genocide. My children recently visited some friends in a rural area. Upon returning, they told me about their friend's mother. Auntie A drives with her pistol in her lap, and when she sees more than one black man getting closer than 10 meters from her car, she cocks it and gets very nervous. 
I was quite shocked by this narration, but Auntie A is amiable, intelligent, and a liberal woman. Upon reflection, I had to admit that she was acting entirely rationally, protecting her children in her car as well as mine. Duprez was also wrong when he claims that black people commit ten times more violent crimes than whites, which would be proportionate to their demographic weight within the total population. The truth is, they commit 50 to 100 times more violent crime, even though such statistics are generally not available. In the 1960s, some African anthropologists predicted that unbridled urbanization coupled with superficial Western consumerist lifestyle would not only rob Africans of their soul and unique culture, but also create a nightmare of nihilistic violence in the country. Brewer wrote that the African is in his deepest being a good person who moves within the embrace of his own cultural tradition. Today, millions of Africans in this country have indeed ceased to be good, and we have reason to fear them. Anyone who pretends otherwise, as Duprez does, is simply blind to reality. South Africa is a very nice, uh, uh, not very nice, but it's, South Africa is good to highlight because not only is the, the TNB there uh, unfiltered, well, not, not quite unfiltered, but it's, it's, there's too much of it to filter by the media, so it's good that, it's good that you get a nice strong dose of it. But it's they have stuff like the, the Shannon Christian, Chris Newsom murders. They have stuff like that, like every day or every week there. I mean, it's, and it's it's going to be that way here. It's it's a it's a racial problem. Uh, it's it's race reality. Speaking of race reality, uh, and we'll have uh, we'll have the uh, filmmakers on in just a second. Uh, there is uh, there's some rather sad news, but it's to be expected. But the United States is falling way behind in technology. Um, in the higher education, the U.S. is falling behind. This was reported this morning by the World Economic Forum, based in Geneva. Uh, they said in a report that the United States had dropped from first to seventh place in its annual uh, in its annual technology index. Uh, the new uh, leader is Denmark, who they said had a good regulatory environment and a clear government uh, vision and uh, an application for computer and ITs uh, or IT uh, their IT sector. Uh, they contrasted that with the U.S., who, uh, who said the decline was mainly due to the relative deterioration of its political and regulatory environment. The report added uh, that the country maintains its primacy in innovation driven by its higher education system and its cooperation with the tech industry and the availability of venture capital. Uh, but uh, after Denmark, which was it was uh, third last year, it went from third to first, uh, this index showed that Sweden was in second place uh, fr up from eighth. Singapore was third. Singapore was kind of an anomaly, I believe. That's my opinion, uh, that Singapore was an anomaly. It's a city-state. It's got a couple million people in it. But still, these are people from East Asia who fare well in all, the, uh, all, in all of the racist, uh, uh, race-realist uh, literature done by uh, anthropologists and researchers over the years. The report is uh, produced by the Forum a World Economic Forum in, in cooperation with uh, the International Business School at Versailles near Paris. Its conclusions are based on assembly by experts of the two institutions. 
in Asia, Hong Kong emerged in 12th place with Taiwan 13th, Japan 14th, India at 44th, China at 59th. Had, uh, the India and China had both dropped back largely due to uh, infrastructure. In Latin America and the Caribbean, Chile was leading at 31st in the global ranking, followed by Barbados at 40. But most countries in the region were improving because of increased government emphasis on technology applications. In Africa, almost all countries dropped in the ratings, including South Africa, which was rated 47th compared with 37th the previous year. But a bright spot was Ethiopia, now spending nearly one-tenth of its gross domestic product annually on technology. Still, it wasn't really getting it anywhere. It was just kind (laughs) of... Yeah, so there's race realism for you in the realm of technology. Um, but it, it's a, the, the problem is in our higher education. Uh, the United States is now a joke, whereas we used to be... The United States, and, and it's funny, it still is. It's, it's, people really haven't gotten the message. You know, when things, when things change, in fact, on the ground, people for a long time, it, it takes a long time, it's like steering a barge... You know, if you, let's say you build a really good car, you own a car company, and you, you build very, very good cars, and you sell them at the best prices, your your cars are going to be known for that, and people are going to, uh, your brand will be sought out, uh, and it will be singled out from the competition, and people will, will seek out your product, right? But let's just say one year, you get all new suppliers and all new manufacturers, and your car looks the same, it's called the same thing, but it's a piece of junk, relatively. It would take years, it it would take some time for it to filter down through the population a different understanding of your product. For a while, for a short while at least, you would still be known as a high-quality manufacturer. Maybe you had a bad year, maybe... Very few people, so few people own that model year, whatever. But it, it takes time for these things to turn around, is what I'm saying. And that's where we are with higher education in the United States. We still have people coming from abroad uh, to come here to study. But the fact is, is that higher education here isn't that great of a, uh, a prospect anymore. And I, I lay it at the... Uh, I, I lay it at the... Uh, at the feet of uh, diversity.